When the Iraq War started, I had a friend who was deeply committed to the anti-war movement, but her commitment to that was always tempered by a World War II vet that she met at a meeting early on in the um, wartime progression, and he sat in a room weeping and saying, we, the United States, have to intervene here. This man, Saddam Hussein, he slaughters his own people. He's like Hitler. We can't let him remain in power. Whether or not one agrees with American military interventionist policy, there is, I think, something in the pit of every human being's stomach that clenches at the thought of the world's dictators. Few, if any of us, would invite Saddam Hussein or Idi Amin or Adolf Hitler or Nero or Caliglia to dinner at Mama's house. But even as the world dictators go, Herod, the king in today's story, the king of Judea when Jesus was born, was especially horrid. Known as Herod the Great, this king engaged in massive, impressive building projects. The Wailing Wall, which you see in Jerusalem now, was one of his projects. It's lasted that long. But of course, he did all of that at the expense of his people through massive taxation. He banished his own wife and son, later killed another wife and children, And while he was a Jew in name, he engaged in a particularly decadent lifestyle that made his religious identification questionable to all who knew him. He, prohib he prohibited political protest, used secret police to remove his oppressors and opponents by force, and he kept a personal security force of 2,000 guards. He was, by most accounts, a paranoid, depressive madman who taxed and suppressed his own people to the point of revolt, which incidentally happened upon his death. But I think one of the greatest marks of this man's personality <clears throat> have to do with an edict he passed that was to be enacted upon his death. Because Herod feared that no one would mourn for him when he died, he passed an edict that would ensure said mourners. A member of each family in Judea, every household in Judea would have a member of their family killed upon his death. And that way, as a nation, people would be saddened. If not by the loss of him, then by the loss of something. What a great guy, huh? 
in the midst of this kind of environment, enter God with us. Emmanuel. You get a sense of the paranoia of Herod the Great when you hear the story of the wise people who come from the east to inquire about the new king so as not to be deposed by some unknown upstart. Ultimately, the king passes another murderous edict. Kill all the male babies under the age of two. Now, I read something on Facebook recently that said, two-year-olds are little tyrants who can always get their way, depending on which people they're talking to. But two-year-old tyrants, really, are not going to depose a king. And yet this man was so paranoid that he set about his army, killing every two-year-old could, they could set their hands upon. Here we stand in the shadow of the star, still smelling the hay of the manger, and children are dying. They should be playing with toys, discovering their toes for the first time, taking their first steps. See, if she was on cue, she'd be walking up the middle right now. <laughs> they should not be hiding from the Imperial Guard or wailing because there is not enough food or medicine or shelter, or living under the stress of running away from their homelands. Jesus was one of those children. Does that make any sense to you at all? In a world where children are among the most vulnerable in this or any other society, why on earth would God choose to come into this earth as a child? It just doesn't make any sense, given the probability that that child would not survive. Jesus' lot gets even worse. Because we find in this text that the Holy Family will soon become refugees in Egypt, of all places. Strangers in a strange land. And that doesn't make any sense either. In a world where refugees are among the most vulnerable in this or any other society, why on earth would God choose to come into this earth as a refugee? An immigrant. Stranger in a strange land. just doesn't make any sense, especially given the fact that Mary and Joseph will hide their family in Egypt, of all places. They flee with their young son because he's endangered of being murdered by the government. And they go to a place that's famous in their religious history for the governmental murder of infants. Remember the Moses story? His mother floats him down the river in a basket to save him 
from certain death. He is saved to save his people. Oh, well, wait a minute. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Moses is saved to save his people, and yet Jesus is saved to save his people also. Perhaps this is making a little more sense. The word of the prophet is fulfilled. Out of Egypt my son shall come. But I read to you this morning from Melissa Bain Seaver, who says this. Some of Jesus' earliest memories must have been sensing his parents' fear. as their voices tell him not to play outside, as they hide until they are beyond danger. Poverty and homelessness were not strangers to him. As the little family survives, they surely experience grief over the children who are not saved, perhaps some of them friends and relatives. Are Jesus, Joseph, and Mary warmly received in, in Egypt? It's highly unlikely. As they and other refugees arrive, their Egyptian neighbors and officials surely complain about those people who are dressed differently, who observe a different religion, who shop for hard-to-find foods, have strange holidays, don't understand and respect the local customs. Joseph, after all, was a carpenter who will assuredly take someone else's job. Those people, they say, don't even know the language. Seaver goes on to say, I find it probable that these early life experiences and stories recounted by his parents helped to shape Jesus' later ministry to the people on the margins, those who are set aside or who by illness, race, and race are ostracized. We see him warmly accepting people from other places, religions, and races. He eats with them, laughs with them, and welcomes the outsider. This is the true incarnation. We live in a world where different can be ostracized, where unusual is now seen not only as unusual but as strange, where we have come to be a standoffish people. And yet when we think about the incarnation of Jesus, We see that God chose to become a child and a refugee. Perhaps to learn a lesson and perhaps to teach one. 